Amen. Isn't it good to worship with friends and to worship Jesus? Um, if you're new or just a guest with us here at Antioch, my name is Tyler Hardy. I'm the lead pastor here. And um, uh, we're just glad you joined us today. And uh, hopefully your experience today is that you're going to get to hear about Jesus, worship Jesus, be changed by Jesus, and you'll leave thinking about Jesus. That's kind of our, our goal today. We call this a celebration service because we don't come in here as defeated people. We don't come in here as somber and discouraged and, oh man, look at all the world, everything's going to pot, whatever. No, we say Jesus is the hope of the world. And so we're coming to reinvigorate our hope, to be encouraged, to be challenged as the people of God so that we then go back out into the world. Someone said it once, they said, hey, church, what happens is the church gathers and then the church scatters, right? So this is a gathering opportunity that happens every Sunday morning. We get to gather for fellowship, for encouragement, to be convicted of sin, to be challenged again, and to go back out into this world so we continue to bring light and hope to people who don't have it. That's what church is all about, if you don't know. So now you know. You can tell your friend if they're not going to church, hey, man, get to church so you can be encouraged and be filled with the hope of the gospel, all right? Well, um, we're continuing a series today on Romans um, called The Gospel of Power. And, um, and, and our desire has been to take this, this, uh, this book of the Bible in Romans that Paul wrote this letter to Christians in Rome at the time, uh, just a few years after Jesus died on the cross and rose from the grave, uh, they then began planting churches, and one of those places where Christians existed was in Rome. And so he wrote a letter back to them. It's one of the most intense, exhaustive, uh, deep letters uh, that, that Paul ever wrote, inspired by God, and we're going to unpack that in this series. And so uh, before we jump into that, I want to take you back to my childhood just a little bit. And, um, you know, um, as, as children, you tend to kind of uh, uh, get into hobbies, right, or have a little interest about things, right? It could be uh, a toy or a game. And, you know, for me, as I got a little older, in the sixth grade, uh, I took on um, uh, something called Warcraft. All right? It's a little computer game. Now, this is a long time ago when we had dial-up modem, all right? How many dial-up modem people we got in here? Throw them up. There you go. Yeah, so dial-up. So what would happen is you usually had one phone line in your house, a landline, right, with a cord actually to it. And in that phone line, you could either use it for your dial-up modem, which you had to pay by the hour. You, had to, you know, remember AOL was a big deal back then. And so you had, like, you could buy 500 hours or something. So you had a landline, uh, and then you had, you had your actual phone line. The problem was, the tension was, when mom wanted to be on the phone, because moms like to be on the phone, and so mom wanted to be on the phone, and yet you as a child wanted to get on the dial-up, get on the internet and play. And so mom picks up the phone, and it's like, and she's like, hey, get off the internet. I need to make a phone call. And you're like, oh, mom, my game, you know. And so that was, the, that was the deal. And so in sixth grade, I took on this game called Warcraft. And I was not a big computer game, video game person. Um, uh, I, I think the first thing we ever played, if you remember, Nintendo, they had this game called Duck Hunt. Yeah, a classic. I mean, remember we got that? My brother and I just, I mean, it was awesome. Now you look at it, you're like, it's so blurry. I can't even see the ducks, you know. Uh, it was not HD, by the way. It was substandard, okay. So, um, but, you know, we weren't that into video games. But this game, all of a sudden I started playing, and the thing with dial-up is you could play with friends, right? So you could, like, compete with them. It's like one of the first kind of online competing games. And I really got into it. I got so much into it that, honestly, I'd be coming home from school, and instead of thinking about practice for my sports or dinner or homework or anything else, I think about playing Warcraft. And what started out as this kind of little innocent, fun video game, computer game, I began to really be addicted to it. And you know you're addicted to something 
when you think about it all the time. You're addicted to something to when you're actually not content or satisfied without it, right? Like you have to have it. It's kind of like it like fills that, that the little craving inside. Well, that's what I had. I had this kind of craving for this little computer game. You know, it, it may not have been a computer game for you. It may have been Pogs, right? Right? Or, or in recent years, Pokemon. Remember the Pokemon craze? Yeah, these were adults doing the Pokemon thing, okay? And people were so addicted to it, people were actually getting hurt and in driving accidents and stuff, trying to search for Pokemon. I mean, it became kind of crazy, right? And so these little things, that kind of seem innocent. You get into them, all of a sudden they start consuming your thoughts. Well, I remember at the time in middle school, I was part of our middle school youth group, and just through getting in, in the Word of God and being in some accountability with some friends, I realized I actually had a problem. I was addicted to this little computer game. And so I remember I repented for it, and I just said, I want to get out of my life. Because what was happening was I was thinking about it more than anything else. And whenever you're thinking about something more than anything else, you just know you're addicted to it. Then you know that you're consumed by it. So I got rid of it. Well, fast forward, you would have thought I would learn my lesson, right? I kind of kicked the habit of being addicted to some video game. Well, then freshman year in college, my roommate had a PlayStation, PlayStation 2, I think, at the time. And we lived in Kane Hall, which is now it's a parking garage. I think they just destroyed it. Um, but, uh, but, but it used to be the athletic dorm. And so uh, almost all the male athletes at A&M would live in the dorm. I got to live, I don't know how I wasn't a male athlete, just kind of snuck in there. And so we had great food, by the way, the best food on campus. It was unbelievable. Um, but I remember living in these dorms, and so I'm roommates. I mean, I'm sweet mates with some of these guys on the football team. And so my roommate had this college football game. And I was like, oh, this is fun. So my freshman year, literally, it got so bad that I would race home on my bicycle from class back to my dorm just to play and to build my little college football dynasty for three or four hours on this video game, thinking I'm so awesome. And I'm playing this little game. And it's just me. And if you had a video camera, you're like, who is this loser spending four or five hours at a time? Oh, look at my dynasty. Skipping dinner. Just, oh, it's, oh i got to go to bed. I can't build my team anymore. It became a real problem. It snuck up back on me. And again, the Holy Spirit, by the way, he doesn't go away. Right? He came back, convicted me again. Tyler, you're addicted to this stuff. Like, oh, Lord, I repent. I got rid of it. It was out of it, done in my life. Right? Now, <clears throat> these little things can happen in our life, but I share them lightheartedly to say this, that this last Sunday, we had Baptism Sunday. And you had over 30 people get up here and share just a snippet of their story. But what you heard in multiple people's stories was they were dealing with stuff a little bit more than being addicted to a video game. That there were things in their lives that were literally destroying them, almost leading them to the place of physical death and spiritual death and hurting people around they loved. And all of a sudden, people get up here, they share their testimony, and we get to listen and hear the power of a transformed life. We get to hear about how there are addictions that actually lead us into a place of death, and yet they're, they're saying, you know what, Jesus rushed into my life, set me free, and I'm done. And what you heard was not, I'm partially done. I'm kind of still dabbling in it, but I want to get baptized. What you heard was, I am free. Multiple people said, Jesus set me free from this and this and this. And that is the power of the gospel. That is what this whole series, that is what, that is what the letter to the Romans, to the Christians in Rome is about. Is guys, I'm reminding you about the power of the gospel and actually breaking down what the gospel is. And so today is going to be more of a message reminding us about the power of freedom. The power of freedom that the power of the gospel provides. Now I want you to open your Bibles to Romans chapter 6. We're going to be staying in there today. 
starting in verse 13. <clears throat> and this is what it says. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. As instruments for righteousness. Now, instruments for righteousness. Think about music for a minute, right? Music can be inspiring and depressing, right? Um, music can deeply affect our emotions and our attitudes and how we experience a moment. And instruments by nature make a sound, right? But in order for those drums to make a sound, someone's got to beat on them. In order for this guitar to make a sound, someone's got to strum the string. In order for those keys to go, you got to put your finger. I mean, instruments, though, there's some sort of action associated with them in order for them to produce a sound. So Paul here is saying is that um, we are meant to be instruments of righteousness, but just because an instrument makes a sound doesn't mean it's pleasant to listen to, right? Uh, you can throw yourself in the Tyler Hardy category of not real pleasant to listen to an instrument, if that's you. Now, these guys are pretty good, but most of us aren't that good. So when we play, though, we're like, oh, I'm kind of picking this tune up. I actually remember um, several years ago for a surf banquet, actually, James Wise, who uh, used, used to be on our staff, he's now serving in the Middle East, doing an amazing job uh, with, 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 with Antioch. We decided to come up with a funny video that year. All right, if you were around, you got, to, you got to be blessed by this video. The video was me and James making up the lyrics to like a volunteer, like serve video, trying to say thank you to all the volunteers, right? Like kids and hosts and, all, and greeters, everything. And we decided to get this, this, this little kind of rap song thing. We changed the lyrics, we just downloaded the instrumental version. So there we are, James and I at our old office. Literally, I have one earbud in. He has the other one in. This is, we didn't have all the technology we have now, okay? It was like literally on our phone. We're trying to record, listen to the instrumental, and do our little thing. And we're doing like this. We're like, mm, okay, here we go. And so, and we're doing the deal, right? <clears throat> now, we do a few takes. We're like, hey, that's sounding pretty good. Yeah, that's, that's pretty good. So then, of course, we then splice and give it to someone, hey, put that in the video with us. We went around town filming our video. We splice in the music with the video. We're thinking, this is going to be killer, right? Well, um, we're the serve banquet, you know, we're showing this thing. And, you know, when we watched it, we were like, ah, it's okay. I mean, it's, we're a little offbeat there. Or, yeah, it didn't sound as cool as it did when we had the earbuds in. Um, but they're the serve banquet, and, man, it was pretty bad. Um, now, thankfully, it was all there to make them laugh, so it, it actually worked. But we actually wanted to sound pretty good. Uh, we sounded horrible, okay? And, and here's, here's, here's the illustration coming full circle. A lot of times the sound we put out, we think sounds good. You want to know how to test if your sound is good? Ask your spouse. Ask your roommate. Ask your children. They actually will tell you whether you ask them or not, right? They'll tell you, hey, daddy's, daddy's putting out some bad sound today. He's like, like that grumpy sound, you know? Paul's saying here, we're meant to be instruments of righteousness, not unrighteousness. But a lot of times if we live the Christian life by ourselves, we actually don't know what we're putting forth. Jesus actually said, you'll know a tree bites fruit, right? Trees produce fruit. But that tree isn't necessarily tasting the fruit. Someone has to come along, taste the fruit, and say, oh, yeah, that's pretty good, or that's pretty horrible, right? For us as a people of God, Paul is encouraging us and challenging us to say, you know what? You have been changed by Jesus. If you put your faith and trust in him, guess what? He has overtaken your life, and he said, now you're going to be producing a good sound, a pleasing sound, a fragrant aroma sound to him and to people. You're now going to be an instrument of righteousness. Now he continues on in verse 14. 
For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law but under grace. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. Sin will not have power over you. Why? Because you're under grace. The reason why, if you are a Christian, meaning you have put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior for forgiveness of your sins, if you have said and received him, you fall in the Christian category. And what that says is that you will not, sin will no longer have the power, the control over you as it did before, because now that's been broken and now you're under grace. You see, Jesus Christ is all our righteousness for justification. We receive it in him as a gift by grace through faith alone. Under grace means you actually live in that place that he's purchased for you. You don't earn it. You're justified by him, by his grace. You see, Jesus broke the power of sin on your life. But the temptation of sin is still available. That's a bummer, isn't it? (laughs) Wait a second. The power of sin has been broken, but temptation? Why didn't Jesus just eradicate Temptation, it's a good question. Why didn't he just take away all temptation, right? He, he paid for on the cross the sins of man, so all of a sudden our sins get put on. But what about temptation? I mean, wouldn't it be nice if we were no longer tempted, right? But you know, the problem with that, though, is, is that we then don't choose Jesus. You become robotic. If it's no longer an option, there's actually no choice. There's no affection you know, if you get married one day, <clears throat> um, you're choosing someone, and you're choosing to make a covenant with them, which means you choose to love them even when they do you wrong. You choose to love them and to push through even though the sound they're putting out is pretty bad that day. Right? And you choose, because listen, loving your spouse when they're doing great, that's easy. That's like a given. It's like, of course it's so fun. The, the love aspect is difficult when they're not easy to love, right? And so here we have this idea of the fact that this power of sin has been broken, but temptation still exists. You know, if you partook in gossiping, let's say, or slander in your life before you met Jesus, and all of a sudden now you find yourself, I'm a Christian, I'm following Jesus, but man, I get in these conversations with other, other women, and they start sharing stuff, and I'm tempted to like kind of chime in with my two cents about what I know about the person or the backstory that they haven't heard. Or, you know, I'm feeling a little slighted by this person, so I'm going to kind of, kind of take a shot at them behind their back. That's a pretty common practice, isn't it? You may have actually experienced that in the church, by the way. <laughs> but that's, that's not the way of a Christian. And, and, and the truth is, guys, a lot of times as believers, we make excuses for our actions. Um, but if we make excuses for our sin and giving into temptation, then what are we saying? Let me connect the dots for you. If, 
if there's an area of your life that you are in addiction, be it the Warcraft computer game, something else, if there's an area of your life you're addicted to, I'm about to say something that's maybe going to startle you, which is this. If you are a believer in Jesus and you are still experiencing cyclical addiction in an area or sinful patterns, let me tell you this. My question to you is, do you believe in the power of sin or the power of Jesus? If you still experience cyclical addiction and you have signed up for Jesus, then what you are saying to him is the power of sin is still more powerful than the power of Jesus. You are proving that by your actions. Because if you believed that Jesus was here to set you free from it all, you wouldn't be dabbling in it. You wouldn't be making excuses and justifying and saying, you know what, my upbringing, this. Or my past is this. Or this. There's people that have experienced stuff worse than a lot of us in the room. And yet they're walking in complete freedom. Has temptation like hidden from them? No, but here's, here, here's, here's, here's the truth. When you go deeper of Jesus, temptation becomes less powerful. It's true. Many of you could attest in the room, you know what, this thing used to be a problem in my life. But I started pressing on Jesus, started putting him as the focus, and the temptation came around, and I was like, get out of my way, you're annoying. Versus, oh, that's interesting, right? Then you're like, uh, no, no thank you, right? You turn the other way. See, when you have the mindset that Jesus is more powerful than your sin, than your addiction, your situation, then all of a sudden you are free from it in a moment. So I'm going to, I want to challenge the mindset in the room, which I know exists, which is sin struggles take a long time to unravel. My struggle with sin is just going to be a lifelong process. Well, let's just keep going here for a minute. And actually, let me, let me share a little illustration, maybe help you this way. Um, I've got some children. And one of them chose, when he was younger, to touch a very shiny exhaust pipe right after the car was turned off. You ever done that before? Anyone? We got exhaust pipe touchers around here? (laughs) A couple of you. Was that a good idea or a bad idea? Bad idea. But it's so shiny, right? Why don't they make the exhaust pipes ugly? Just like, ugh, look at that. It looks moldy and don't touch it. No, but they're shiny. And they're, that's cool. So he touched it. Boom. Hand on it, burned his hand. Mom and dad are up with him about six or seven hours in the middle of the night. Eventually had to go to the hospital. His hand got burned pretty bad at the time. And uh, he's screaming for several hours, so that's not fun. Um, but, you know, it was so tempting just to touch that shiny thing. But you know what? He has never touched one since. Now, why is that? Why, did he, why has he not touched it again? Because he knows how painful it was. And he remembers how hurtful it was. And you know what, guys? When you live under grace, when you live under grace, you don't only learn and say, you know what, I'm not going to touch it anymore, but you actually want to prevent others from touching it too. On multiple occasions, this child of mine has prevented his siblings from doing the same thing. When you're under grace, you live differently. Now remember, Paul was a Pharisee. He was. Redeemed in Jesus, no longer a Pharisee. What was a Pharisee? A Pharisee was someone who lived with the letter of the law, and they lived an extreme life of trying to do everything just right. What if I told you today, okay, guys, um, the next seven days, I'm going to give you five things to do, to do them perfectly. Just obey these five things, and you're still going to be a Christian. you still got a place in heaven. Just do these five things, though. Don't mess up. My guess is majority of you are going to do those five things. Oh, I don't want you know, to lose my salvation here. I want to make it in heaven. All right, here we go. But then next week, I said, okay, guys, five is good. Now, let's, let's do 500 things perfectly this week. 
If you do 499, hey, good, but not good enough. Right? You're out. Um, how many would you make it? Probably none. If you think, I'm a pretty good Christian, how about 10,000 things? How about that one, right? Okay, now you're all out. Okay, we're all out. Paul would be the poster child for trying to memorize and do 500 certain behaviors. Because if you did everything just right, that meant you were righteous. And Paul's saying, I was that guy. I know what it's like to live to the letter of law. I know what it's like to try to do every single thing right and earn God's approval every step of the way and judge every single person who messes up and does something wrong. If Paul was here before he met Jesus, these baptisms, he'd have been like, yeah, get down from there. You used to do that. Get out of there. You don't belong in Christianity. You can't do that. But instead of redeemed life says, expose it all so you can be closer to God. The more you expose your life, people, to others, the more they want to draw close. At this church, we honor and we celebrate someone. They say, hey, here is my past, or here's what I'm living in the present. Here it is, all my junk, icky stuff. And we say, thank you for saying that. We want to pray with you right now. Let's repent of that stuff. Get that stuff off your life. Now let us run with you. Let's, 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 let's do life differently now. We don't sit there and say, oh, I remember him. Remember what he said. Remember that guy two years ago? Remember how he didn't tie? Remember how he was in this addiction? Remember what he did? Can you believe that guy? Ex-drunkard? We're not going to hang out with him. That's a Pharisee mindset because they say you have to be perfect, even though they were far from it, right? Paul says we're here to live under grace. And guys, when you live under grace, when you understand what the grace of God is, you realize that it gives you the power over every sin. It's not like, oh, there's like the top ten Grace not applied to category. They're just really hard sins. These addictions, Jesus is good for these ones. Lying, maybe stealing. But these ones, he's a good guy, but just not that powerful. If that's your mindset, you don't believe in Jesus. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And when you believe that, you can say, you know what? Bring it on. Any temptation? Bring it on. I'm going to hit you in the face. I'm going to turn around. I'm going to be like Joseph when the woman's trying to tear my clothes off to come sleep with her. I'm running the other way, butt naked, and I don't care who sees me naked because I'm running away from sin. Right? When you have the mentality that I don't want sin in my life, you don't care who's looking at you. You don't care to be a little awkward. Well, that's strange. You're not participating in the thing we're doing right now. Yeah, because I'm free and I don't want to dabble in it. But you should join along to be culturally acceptable. I don't care about culture. Culture will die when you die. Heaven culture will last beyond, right? Do not live a life trying to please men and women. They will all turn their backs on you at some point, sometime. They will all fail you someday. Jesus will never fail you. Who would you rather try to please your whole life? Please, Jesus, he'll be with you in heaven. You do not want to approach him in the last days and say, hey, I could have given more, but you know what? I was just so consumed with everybody's thoughts and feelings about me. No. Don't lower the standards of Christianity to be accepted by culture, to be accepted by your friends or your family. Jesus said, look, some of you guys, uh, the gospel is going to divide your family. That's hard to hear, isn't it? It's going to divide your siblings. I'm willing to bet there's a lot of people in this room that you follow Jesus and your siblings don't. You follow Jesus and your parents don't. 
And I also know in your heart of hearts, is like, I want them to know him. And let me just encourage you again, they're not a lost cause. I don't care where they've been. They can't be as bad as Paul. <laughs> they got to be somewhere below him. It's possible to reach him. You know, Paul says that we are slaves of righteousness, meaning we are justified on account of Christ's righteousness, and our eternal life is secure. But justification is not the whole of salvation. Did you know that? Like when you pray or pray to receive Jesus in your heart, that's not where it stops. This is where it begins. At that moment in time, you're justified from your sins, past, present, future. God comes and redeems you, heals you, and says, hey, you're justified. Jesus just took the place where you were supposed to have, got you out of jail, and all of a sudden now you're set free. But sanctification, which is being conformed and practiced to the holiness of Jesus, always follows justification. Sanctification follows justification. And the definition I'm giving you is sanctification being conformed and practiced to the holiness of Jesus. That's really what it is. Another way to maybe say it is justification is a legal declaration. And sanctification is a lifelong process. Justification is a legal declaration. I am free and clear. There are no charges against me because Jesus took all my sinful charges on him. And he said, you are free now, scot free. Get out of here. Let's go run. And sanctification is a lifelong process. Do not hear me say it's going to take your whole life to to actually be at a place where you're like, oh, I'm really feeling like I'm sanctified now. Like that process starts now. It started when you got saved. It's, they're always tethered. There, there is no Christianity that says I'm justified but not saint. Like it, it, it goes hand in hand. When you come to Jesus, he then says, what's he say in the gospel many times? He says, hey, your sins are forgiven. Now what? Come follow me. Come follow me is saying, your sins are forgiven. Now come be sanctified. And just follow me. Follow me where I go and what I say and what I think and how I do. That's how you become sanctified. It's following Jesus and the teachings of Jesus. I want to continue on here in verse 19 through 22. It says, I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. By the way, I'm not offended by that. I'm a very simple person. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, notice, when you were slaves of sin. If you're a believer in Jesus, hear that statement. When you were slaves of sin, meaning you actually were enslaved by the power of sin. But. He says, you were free in regards to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? What was the fruit of your life being enslaved to sin? It was bad fruit. It poisoned other people. The fruit was bitterness. It was shame. It was manipulation. It was sexual morality. It was addiction. It was lying. It was stealing. It was anything and everything that breaks God's heart. That's the fruit of a sin-filled life. But, he says this, for the end of those things is death. Guys, I think we know this, but usually the most powerful evangelists and powerful people in the kingdom of God sharing their story are people that actually really experience complete darkness. Because they actually know what it's like, and they know how horrible it is, and they want you to know really clearly that it's a really bad place to be. You don't want to be there. And they also have been restored 
done the 180 where they have hope, and they say, you've got to have this hope. I mean, some of the people I've known in my life that are the, like, most bold, I'm thinking, I can't believe they just said that or how they did it. And it's like because they've experienced death. And when you're resurrected back to life, which, by the way, is all of us, but, when, but a lot of times they're the ones that actually realize it. And sometimes for us, if you haven't had this uber painful past experience, you kind of marginalize your story and think it's not that good. Well, just remember, all of us are sinners before Jesus, and all of us need a saving, and all of us have a past, and all of us have a story that relates to somebody. Do not minimize your testimony. You may have not have been a drug addict. You may have been a pathological liar. You may not have been uh, a murderer, but you could have been a, 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 a continuous gossip and slanderer. And there's a place for you to speak into people's lives to set them free from the very thing you've been set free from. But he says, for the end of those things is death. But verse 22, but now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. See, the fruit of sanctification is eternal life. The fruit of a sinful life is death. Now, slaves has a mixed meaning for us, doesn't it? Historically in our country, um, slavery was a big part of our country, sadly. And... um, it created a lot of brokenness, still a lot of brokenness in our nation today as a result of it. So most of our context is slavery, but let me just kind of unpack a little bit. You know, um, to be a slave meant that really someone had to either capture you or, or do something, and then they would then actually sell you. Many times slaves from Africa would come, they would come over to ports, and then people would go and they'd purchase them. They'd pay however much money for different slaves. And so when they bought them, they were then became their master. They then had rights over that person. And so that's what it means. When you're a slave, it's like you are a slave to someone else, someone else's bidding, someone else's doing. You are being told that you need to do the things they do. So why does Paul use the terminology, slaves of righteousness? Aren't we free, right? I think he's trying to say that he's saying, just like a slave, you're supposed to be wholly devoted to your master's way of doing things. Wholly devoted, wholly sold out. But the difference is, is that we're slaves of righteousness because we've been purchased not with money, but by the blood of Jesus. See, Jesus laid his life down to purchase you and me. He gave up his life. He sacrificed himself. Very different than what slaves 2,000 years ago in the Mediterranean experience. Some wealthy owner would then go and purchase people. But no, no, Jesus came to lay his life down for you and me. He sacrificed. His own blood was shed, and that was the price that had to be paid in order for us to even have righteousness at all. So Paul says you need to be a committed people. Not to a human master, but a heavenly master. And guys, this is the process of sanctification. You know, in John 15, it says, Jesus says, abide in me, and I will abide in you, and you will bear much fruit. The only way to bear fruit, the only way to have a sound that's a pleasing sound, is if we're abiding in Jesus. And if we know that actually he has the power over sin and death. This is the normal Christian life, you know. The normal Christian life is that you don't dabble in the past. The, the normal Christian life is that when you kick the video game habit, it's kicked. It's gone. I hadn't experienced that power from 6th grade to 12th grade. I was kind of a lukewarm Christian, to be quite honest, which meant essentially I would do the right things but didn't have the right belief system. Because, you know, you can, you can act like a Christian without actually being one. You can, you can do the right stuff. You can show up to the right things. You can dress the right way. You can have the right language. But, um, but at the end of the day, God knows your heart. And God's saying, hey, do you really, do you, do you really believe Jesus is who he says he is? And, and, and when you do, you know what? 
he says, guess what? You're set free. Guys, sanctification, it is a process, but I want you to hear today that any sin, addiction, anything in your life, that you just come to him and he can eradicate it right then. He can take it away from you right then. Some of you don't believe me. That's okay. I'm believing the Holy Spirit's going to help convince you in your own heart, in your own mind. Can I tell you, though, that a lot of times we as a people are not convinced that Jesus has the power until we hear about it in someone else's life. Right? The reason why we have people share their stories on Baptism Sunday because we want you to be encouraged and to realize again Jesus has the power to set people free from all sorts of stuff. You know, anytime we will have like a testimony of someone being coming out of financial debt, what always happens is there's several more testimonies that just happen in the weeks after that. Well, I got debt free. Someone gets the money here. This has happened. It's like it's it built on top of each other because the kingdom of God is like this mustard seed. Once it's planted, it builds and it grows. And when God shows up in power, all of a sudden things start happening. Hey, I heard this person got set free. Oh, they got set free from the same thing. Oh, they got set free from the same thing. All of a sudden, we got 10 life groups saying, hey, people are getting set free from sexual addiction. Whoa, that's cool. How'd that happen? Well, a testimony got shared, and then boom, 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 boom. That's how God works. When the people of God share the stories of God, he didn't, he didn't unleash his power on that, and a favor, and an anointing, and a grace for that thing to get eradicated. It's just like healings. They can happen. It's like all of a sudden, hey, this bat got healed. Now it's Five back, six, no, there's ten backs that got healed. We had a couple, we had a night, I don't know, a little while ago where someone had a, had a word, just felt like they were going to pray into our people, and they got up here, and they shared the word, and all of a sudden, multiple people came up, and they said, oh, we've all, we all been healed from the same thing, just like that. God's moving in power. God's setting people free from addictions, and he does it in ways because he wants to encourage the church that we need each other. You're not meant to live this normal Christian life alone. This Christian life is meant to be lived under grace, with the power of Jesus, and in fellowship with your family. I want us to stand as we, as we close today and <clears throat> invite the band on up and if our prayer teams can make their way up as well. <clears throat> you know, um, my hope today is that you walk out of here empowered. Um, I don't know how time to get into my whole story, but to, to summarize it, years ago, um, I was engaged to Ashley, my wife, and um, uh, I had committed to telling her whenever I looked at pornography or any sort of sexual thing um, that I would, I would confess it to her. It's a pretty hard promise to fulfill. And so um, there we were. It was uh, my junior year at A&M, or I guess senior year at A&M. We're three months away from getting married. And um, I had chosen to sin again. And we're at a coffee shop here in town. And, and I came to her. And um, I said, Ashley, I'm so sorry. And, but I sinned again. I got to tell you about it. And um, as I began sharing, just about 60 seconds worth, I mixed in a couple of excuses as well and justifications, which is pretty standard practice for me at the time. Well, you know, it was actually my roommate had this TV and this channel and just, you know, I, st- I walked in the room, is on and I don't know. And so my confession was actually not a real confession. It was, this is what I did and let me give you all the excuses why that happened to me. Um, and I remember Ashley's eyes started filling with tears. And, um, you know, you're looking at your, at your fiance here. And um, 
She said, Tyler, she said, I love you, but you don't believe Jesus can set you free, do you? Because what you just told me was excuses and how this is every man's struggle and you're trying as best you can. But she said, I don't think you believe that. You, you say to me that you believe Jesus can raise people from the dead and God's a creator of the universe, but he can't set you free from this. I don't know how else to tell you, but in that moment, the Spirit of God came in my soul and in my mind. And at that moment, convicted me wholeheartedly of the way I've been living. And literally in 10 seconds, and changed my mindset in a moment and said, you're right. I have not believed Jesus is who he says he is. I'm finished. That was um, November of 2005. We are in April 2018. And I can tell you with complete integrity, I have gone 13 years since that moment walking in freedom from pornography and sexual addiction. I don't want you to applause, but I want to hear you I want you to hear me say this. I just gave you a testimony of someone that struggled with sexual addiction since sixth grade being introduced to it all the way through college years up until a couple months from my wedding day. And God set me free. You have at least one testimony of someone that was addicted and got set free and is still walking in freedom. But you know what? There's other testimonies like that in this room. Different sin struggles, different issues. But you know how I got free? It wasn't internet filters. It wasn't an accountability group. It wasn't reading a good book by someone or just trying harder. It was me believing Jesus for what he's already said who he is and then saying, I'm in. James talks about faith without any doubting. If you have doubt, you just allowed room for sin to come back in the picture. You said, I will never do that again. Not, I'm going to try hard for three months. I will never do it again. I believe Jesus' power comes upon you, and he says, I'm with you there. But if you have hazardly stop, if you have hazardly walk in freedom, meaning I'll go for freedom, but I may not make it, you're going to lose. If you say, no, I will walk in freedom, and I will stay that course, and nothing will waver me off of that course, you will obtain that freedom. So here's what I'm going to pray for us today. I'm going to have the worship team play. And if you're here this morning and you need freedom, please be bold. Be like Joseph. Run up here naked. Not naked, just kidding. Naked in the sense of not caring what everyone thinks. Because some of you guys won't come up here because you're ashamed of what someone's going to think about you. Who gives a rip about the person next to you what they think about you? I want you to come get free. So if you want that and you need that today, we'll find more people to pray for you. Come up and just confess that, hey, here's where I need freedom. I want freedom. I'm sick and tired of it. I'm a Christian. I'm a follower of Jesus, and I believe the lie. This will always be a struggle, and I'm ready to walk out of here free. I'm ready to walk out of those doors in literally seven minutes free. You can have it today. If you don't want it, stay in your seat. If you want it, come and get it. God's providing it, and I believe there's an anointing this morning by the Holy Spirit's power for you to get free this morning. And you can seize the moment. You continue to question who Jesus really is. But I want you to walk out of here free. So I'm boldly asking you to step forward and get freedom. If no one's available to pray for you, come up here and kneel down. You can stay in your seat and just confess to God and come clean right there. Or someone next to you, that's fine too. But I want you to get free this morning. Jesus, I ask right now you would come. Spirit of living God, come in power. Come in power and set us free this morning, Lord. Would you come and invade our hearts, our minds, Lord. Work, work through whatever you got to do, God. Any hindrances, anything going on in the name of Jesus, we just break it off in this room. 
Lord, I ask by the power of the Holy Spirit, you literally cleanse this place, the atmosphere of anything going on, any mixed signals, any confusion the enemy would like to send to people right now, Lord. We break it off by the power of Jesus, and we say that you will come and set people free right here, right now. That the cross is available. The power of the death and resurrection is here. And we are people that live under grace. We do not live under the law. We live under grace, which means we have power to come clean and to be set free. So, Lord Jesus, come. Come right now. Set us free, we pray this morning in Jesus' name.